0: Curriculum Associates presents the Extraordinary Educators podcast with hosts Danielle Sullivan and Sari Laveris. Hear tips, best practices, and successes to improve your teaching and leadership and drive student growth and learning. We're here for you. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Extraordinary Educators podcast. It is Sari, and this week I am joined by Lori Penny who is the content and pedagogy specialist for math at CA. And Lori talks a lot about fluency in this episode. And I am really, really excited, whether you're a math teacher or not, because I think at some point in our teaching careers, we all kind of cross the bridge of fluency in one way or another with whatever content we teach. And really thinking about what are our expectations for kids being, quote unquote, fluent And their math facts or whatever else it is, and and how can we get them there in a way that's not stressful and anxiety provoking? And so I really hope you enjoy my conversation with Lori. Here it is. Welcome Lori, thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, so just to get started, what's on your mind lately? What have you been working on?
1: Well, I've been thinking a lot about fact fluency and how teachers often find it's an area that they struggle with, all in all the elementary grades and all the operations, really thinking about how students develop fact fluency, what that even means, and what the best ways to approach it is with their students.
0: Yes, and as a former elementary and math middle school teacher, I get that. It totally resonates with me. So just so we start off on the same page here, what, how do you define fluency in math?
1: So, for me, fluency is a combination of accuracy and efficiency and flexibility with math facts. Of course, we want students to be accurate, efficient, and flexible with all the mathematics they do. But we know it's really important for students to have a good foundation with those basic facts. And that's often what elementary st- school teachers are focusing on.
0: Mm-hmm. and And before we we hit record, you were you were kind of talking about your interest recently in understanding how the student, brain works and and how they they come to be fluent. So I'd love for you to just speak about that a bit for our listeners.
1: Yeah, sure. You know, it, it hits home for me in a million ways. When I was a child many, many years ago, um, the way fact fluency happened in schools was here's a bunch of index cards with the facts on them, go home and memorize them, drill and drill and drill until you can come in and do them. And I'm going to quiz you with a speed test every friday and there's going to be a star on by your name on a giant chart for everyone to see who's succeeding and who's not succeeding that was normal and you know if you were pretty good with your facts probably felt pretty good but i imagine it caused a lot of stress and anxiety and tears for people for many years and i remember you know my my mom drilling me as she made dinner at night you know what's 6 times 8 what's 9 times 7 over and over until we just got it in the car everywhere And some of that still exists. There are still districts that require assessing math facts. There are still teachers that want to do time tests, but we definitely think about those things differently now. And what I'm really interested in is thinking about how students memorize things and what the process is around that. When I think about that, I, I want to pull back and think about anything that we need to memorize. Like, we all have to memorize things. So, Sari, can you think about something that you had to memorize or that you have memorized and maybe didn't, haven't really thought about?
0: Sure, like your home address, right? Something okay. like that, or a phone number of a friend or a loved one. <laughs>
1: yeah, great. So, those are things that when they came up, if you moved houses, you, you spent some time and you spent the time to memorize it. Think about something like a song that you know all the words to. Yep. Did you sit down and with a piece of paper and memorize it? <laughs> no, of Probably course not. It just happens not, naturally over time. It exactly yeah. happens naturally over time. All of a sudden you're like, holy cow, I know every word to that song. And let me tell you, 20 years from now, you're going to go, I still know every <laughs> word to that song, even if you haven't heard that song in 10 years. And I think our memories are something that we want to just sort of tap into when we think about naturally things that we memorize like that, that we didn't have to work at. And how can that... Help us think about how we can help students memorize what six times eight is. Because memorization like that, rote memorization happens gradually over time. Like it or not, you keep hearing that song, the words start to just be part of what you know.
0: So that's such a nice sorry to pause you for a second there. I just want to kind of reiterate that because it's such a different mindset. And like when I, when I think about ex- what you experienced in school, I did too. And I literally get like a pit in my stomach. Like I have like a physical reaction to the like yeah. stress and anxiety about like, and I knew my facts. So it's still stressful for me, right? You have to write it fast in your pencil. And are you going to go this like up and down or across? I'm I going to get it done by the 60 seconds. And and the way you just described it, memorizing something, like I think of a song I like and how I know all the words, it's, it's really enjoyable and it elicits positive feelings. And if we can if we can instill that in our students versus the, the stressful anxiety piece, like what a difference
1: that would make to their, their journey in, in math, right? Absolutely. And let me tell you, I was a student who the facts came easily to, but I still stressed out about the kid next to me who right. was anxious. I was anxious for them and with them. So right. the anxiety was just high. So one thing that, that sort of flows from this for me is the idea of not worrying about the facts from the beginning. You know, I was describing that it used to be, this is our threes week, everyone. Take those index cards home. And by Friday, you'll know your threes. Instead, not thinking about assessing at all for a long time. Like just being involved in exploration around the facts is just a natural part of what we do. Like we turn on the radio and that song just keeps playing and playing. You know, when my um, children were little, they took piano lessons and, you know, they practice the same song week after week after week. And then at some point, their piano teacher would say, OK, for next week, I'd like you to have this piece memorized. And that puts up all these, you know, red flags. Oh, my God, how am I going to do that? How am I going to do that? But what actually happened is they found that if they tried it, just just try it, try to play it. They've realized they've been playing it all these weeks and they just started to absorb into them like the lyrics of that song. They knew way more than they thought. You know, there may be just be a measure or two that they have to check in on. And that's the way we should be considering math facts too. Let's do games and activities and explorations where the facts are all around us. And then when I say, hey, do you know three times three? You may realize you just know it. You've done it so many times, you just know it.
0: Yeah, that's just a nice, pleasant experience to get to that that time when you actually do know it. So Lori wrote a great blog for our listeners. We'll link it in the show notes that has actual games and things you can do in the classroom, a bunch of ideas. But but thinking about those, Lori, um, or different ones, what is like your favorite or one of the most recommended or one you see most join students of ways that teachers, rather than doing here are the flashcards, that they can kind of create this, this experience for their students?
1: Well, you know, there's a wide variety depending on where your students are. So some Mm -hmm. kids, you know, love a a fast pace and a competitive and a speed game, but we don't want to recommend that for students until they know their facts. You know, once they know their facts and there's just maybe one or two that trip them up and and they're in that mode of, I got these, I'm going to show off to my best friend, you know, which one of us knows it faster, then those are enjoyable. But as you can imagine, those can be super stressful for the student who doesn't know them is just learning them. And so for the just learning them, you want to play games that allow students the time to figure the fact and not have to know it off the tip of their tongue. So there's definitely different sort of levels of playing around with those. Yeah.
0: That, that's. I think it's important to consider what you just said, the goal, right? The outcome is not write them as fast as you can. It's play the game you know, or, or, or whatever the task is, which then helps kind of naturally bring, bring the facts to memory.
1: Yeah. And I think the last thing that I want to make sure that we really touch on is is what are our goals? Like you just, you know, I'm talking about goals. We talk about speed and there's something to be said for speed, but really why? Like how fast is fast? Because mm-hmm. is it, you need to be able to answer every one of these in two and a half seconds or three seconds, which is sometimes what, what, You know parameters people put on. I used to say to my students, you know, nowhere in your life as an adult is someone going to tap you on the shoulder and say, "Can you tell me what six times eight is in the (laughs) next two seconds?" It's not how the world works. Very true. Um, But we do want some of them to be, you know, very quick rote memory, and also just an expectation about what what fluency means in terms of numbers. Like, is it okay that there's five or six facts that I struggle with? because I don't know any adults who can't honestly say, yep, you know, nine times seven, I still have to pause and think about that. That's one for me, nine times seven. But that's okay. I can take a little more time to figure that out and, and just work with the ones I know. None of, none of this, I don't have all of them perfectly is going to make me a failure in math or in life. Yeah,
0: I think, that, I think that's great communicating that to your students, like you said, or, or showing your vulnerability as a teacher, right? I still, same with me. I mean, mostly for the nines, I, I have the trick in my head, like seven minus one is six. What plus six is nine? Sixty three, right? But it takes more than the one second that you said. So
1: that's okay. When you need nine times seven, you know how to get it. There's a, a right. way for you to understand it. Yeah, exactly. Well, that is all
0: the time we have for today, Lori. Thank you so much for joining. I'm sure our listeners are going to love um, hearing all of your insights and, and tips for them. Get inspired by following us on social media and please tag us in your posts on Twitter at Curriculum Soch, and on Instagram at My iReady. If you have feedback about the podcast, a topic of interest, or want to be a guest, email extraordinaryeducators at cainc.com. Subscribe where you listen to podcasts. And if you'd like to help more educators like you join the conversation, please leave a review. And remember, be you, be true, be extraordinary. The Extraordinary Educators podcast is produced by Curriculum Associates, editing by Whiteboard Geeks, social media by Atzany Hannon, guest booking by Sari Labaris. production by Haley Browning. This podcast is copyright material and intellectual property of Curriculum
1: Associates.